Hey everybody, this is Adam. Question, do you want to see an episode of Unpopular Opinion live and in person? Well, if you're in the New York City area, COVID willing, you'll have a chance to do that real soon. We're doing a one-off live podcast at a venue called Caveat in NYC on Sunday, August 28th at 4 p.m. That's right, 4 p.m. Come see us, then go do some other stuff later that night. Make a whole day of it. Joining me on the lineup will be four-time Jeopardy champion and internet favorite Alex Schmidt, music producer, and my Pod 6 co-host, Sliceberg Slim, and comedian Khalees Hawkins. And hey, if you can't make it, you can still watch it on your computer screen. Either way, tickets are available at unpops.co slash NYC, or just visit the caveat NYC website and check the calendar and get those tickets soon. They'll sell fast. We'll see you at the show. Thanks. We love you. People of Earth, your destroyed. Welcome to Conspiracy, the show, the world's most trusted conspiracy theory podcast, with your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Olivia Haidar. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Conspiracy the Show. I'm Adam Todd Brown. Who are you? I'm Olivia Haidar. That makes us your hosts. Olivia, how's it going? Oh, it's going all right. Can't complain. You can't? Uh, I mean, I could. Yeah, obviously. Look, this is the... This is the bit, but, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's fine. It's hot. I hate this part of the summer in the Midwest. It's the fucking worst. Yeah. People always talk about the winters in the Midwest, but the summers, brutal. The worst. The humidity. Way worse. It's like walking into a swimming pool when you yeah. leave. Going from a mall to outside in the Midwest in the summer is a jarring experience that has probably killed people in the past i'm sure it's like getting slapped in the face yeah yeah it is shocking Uh, it is uh and my poor air conditioner does just can't handle it at all the winters are not anything anymore that's so that's you know that's the the whole thing (laughs) like sometimes you know you'll get some snowfall and it's cold like it's not great like it sucks to be cold but like it's not nearly as cold as it used to be Used to be real cold. Used to get lots of snow. Don't get much snow anymore. It's a balmy 75 all the time where I live, including... (sighs) I miss it. Right now. So we're talking about a thing I teased at the end of the last Behold a Pale Horse episode. Yeah. We are talking about Gary Webb. Gary Webb is a complicated figure (laughs) in... I would... Say just American history. Kind oh, of. Absolutely. Yeah. When you're a journalist who kind of has this kind of an impact, then you kind of move from journalist to historical figure. Yeah. He's a journalist who, just like Bill Cooper, who was the author of Behold a Pale Horse, Gary Webb also once pushed a theory that the American government was involved in trafficking drugs. Mm-hmm. The difference between the two is that uh, maybe sometimes, but for the most part, no one called Gary Webb a conspiracy theorist. No, I mean, like, I'm sure some people did, but like, no, he was a legitimate reporter. 
Bill Cooper's theory was that the CIA sells drugs at the behest of the Bilderberg Group as sure. a means of population control. Uh-huh. I think Gary Webb's theory benefited from being slightly more believable. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that helps. And there was also all this evidence that he right. included, and he talked to people about it. Right. Instead of basing it on his memories of documents he saw in the 70s when he was in just, the Navy. Right. Yeah, like just thinking, oh, this sounds right, maybe. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, no. And then, like, he also has the benefit of the CIA almost admitting to the things that he writes about. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, if you look into this story now, you'll still see there's a lot of debate around his reporting methods. Mm. And I think the general consensus has become that this story was discredited. And I wildly disagree with that. Yeah, I don't think that's a good takeaway at all from this whole incident. There were definitely issues with his reporting. Yeah, like people would talk about, like he was a very passionate guy who kind of sometimes let that passion get the better of him. Right. But that doesn't discount every single thing that he reported on. It just means that you got to like it requires nuance to talk about. (laughs) And that's, you know, that's tough. Yeah. And despite him making some pretty ground breaking claims Mm -hmm. in this story, the mainstream media response was basically, let's get Gary Webb. Yeah, it was wild. We'll probably do this in two episodes. And the second episode is going to be about that mainstream media response, because I think that's actually the conspiracy. It's definitely. Yeah. Like it's it's its own thing. Like or, you know, at least like a major part of the Iran-Contra CIA drug conspiracy. Yeah, because, I mean, the CIA being involved in drug smuggling, that's kind of old news by now. Like, it it was almost old news by the time Gary Webb reported on it. And we'll get to why the response to his was different in a bit. But like you said, eventually everything, I mean, it wasn't proven to be true, but no, there was some level of vindication here that we didn't pay attention to because Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky were tearing up (laughs) the headlines at the time. Right. And, you know, and again, this is stuff that we'll, we'll talk about, but like it was vindicated in such a way that it allowed the people who criticized him to maintain their stance. You know yes. what I mean? Like they said they did a lot of stuff like what was reported on, but not specifically that. Right. And there's a lot of that going on in the response to this. Yeah. The basics of Gary Webb's theory was that the CIA was collaborating with drug smugglers in Nicaragua in some way to fund the Contras, which were the rebel army that we were funding to fight the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. And Gary Webb's theory is that the CIA either knowingly or unknowingly participated in drug trafficking into the United States. And the thing about it is one thing I found researching this, and it comes up if you read anything about Gary Webb, this was a thing that had been reported on a lot. Before yeah, absolutely. There had been suggestions and allegations that the Contras, at the very least, were involved in cocaine trafficking way back in the mid 80s. And that's the part that 
kind of goes unsaid. Like if the Contras were involved in it, then the CIA was involved in it. Like, exactly. <laughs> like there's no. Yeah. I know there's in that that kind of is what the criticism of Gary Webb's reporting sort of comes down to is mm-hmm. nitpicky shit like that. Well, like, yes. well, they weren't. They didn't work for the CIA. They were CIA operatives. And it's like, right. OK, well, what the fucking difference is that? <laughs> Who cares? Yeah, they were just paid by the CIA and <laughs> monitored by the CIA and told what to do by the CIA. But they didn't work. You know, they didn't. Have, where's their W-2? Huh? They're, not, they don't, they don't, <laughs> they're not drawing a government pension, if that's what you're worried about. It's exactly. Not, that was not my concern. But <laughs> so, yeah, the Associated Press published an article about Contras smuggling cocaine into the United States in the name of raising money to fight the government of Nicaragua in Mm -hmm. 1985. So 11 years before Gary Webb. The following year, the San Francisco Examiner published a story about a cocaine seizure and mentioned that a, quote, cocaine ring in the San Francisco Bay Area helped finance Nicaragua's Contra rebels. Mm -hmm. And again, that's 86 The article mentions that a convicted drug trafficker named Julio Zavala said he supplied $500,000 to two Costa Rican-based Contra groups and that the majority of it came from cocaine trafficking in the Bay Area, Miami, and New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, this is all very well known. I mean, like, it's just funny because, again, these claims about drug smuggling were kind of singled out as the one to pick on. But, I mean, like... Even earlier that decade, we'd had the whole Iran Contra scandal. Yeah. Like the, and like that was about the CIA, you know, helping arms deals happen in order to fund the fucking Contras. So, like, I don't understand how people would go, well, sure, the, we know the CIA helped sell guns to fund the cop, but, but drugs? Come on now. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's a step too far. Yeah. The Iran Contra scandal is so nuts. There's one it moment is. where a guy was supposed to testify, and an hour before he was set to testify, he was rendered incapable of speech. <laughs> Nothing God, suspicious this is some about fucking that. Shit. <laughs> that is His crazy. Mouth is just sealed shut. Fucking shellfish toxin. That guy. Oh that my crazy. god! Rendered unable to speak. <laughs> that's so. Yeah, that's this great. is. Uh, yeah, again, we're talking about the CIA here, right? And I know it sounds crazy that they would traffic in drugs, but also this is the agency that oversaw America's decades long human experimentation program. Yeah. Like I don't, how is this outside their fucking boundaries? I mean, I really don't understand how you could think that drugs are beyond the pale for the CIA. (laughs) Like that's just what is so mind boggling. Like that's where you go. No. No, no, no. I'm putting my fucking foot down. It wasn't cocaine. Like if they were like if this was a military tactic, if this was something that we were doing in the fucking, you know, like that we were and we are probably uh, like exporting drugs to other countries and selling that and using that money in order to fund some other military. Like if we were saying it was happening somewhere else, it wouldn't be nearly the uh, controversial subject i don't think yeah you know like it it only makes sense that of course that they would also do that sort of thing in america yeah and back when these articles came out even then the reagan administration tried 
really hard to keep that Associated Press article from being published, but they failed. Yes. And it came out, but no one really cared. There was mm -hmm. also a Senate subcommittee headed by John Kerry mm -hmm. that was all about investigating drug cartels and money laundering. And among their findings on the Contra's ties to drug trafficking was this. Here's a quote. Payments to drug traffickers by the U.S. State Department of Funds authorized by Congress for humanitarian assistance to the Contras, in some cases after the traffickers had been indicted by federal law enforcement agencies on drug charges, in others while traffickers were under active investigation by these same agencies. Mm. End quote. That part's really important. Yeah. Because... That is kind of the crux of Gary Webb's story. Right. So you'll see a lot of criticism of his story, and we'll get into that in more detail in the second episode, where people are like, okay, there's some connections there, but there's certainly nothing that says the CIA willingly started the crack epidemic nationwide. And it's like, yeah, because his article doesn't <laughs> say that. Right, exactly. But, you know, like you can imply things, but you can imply things. But also his article does say this, like right. it says pretty much what the Kerry investigation came up with, which is that, yeah, the CIA wasn't like standing on street corners in South Central L.A. peddling crack. <laughs> yeah, but they, that would be cool, though. So people will know if you go back and read those 80s articles and even the John Kerry investigation, none of them explicitly say the CIA was involved in mm -hmm. drug trafficking and they don't mention the CIA explicitly. But when is the CIA ever mentioned explicitly right. in stuff like this? Like that's kind yeah. of the nature of the CIA. It came up in the bonus episode we did last week about right. Ruth Payne. They're, they're a secretive organization, yeah. I would say. I think that's fair. Yeah, they they operate in the shadows for sure. <laughs> But also, do they need to be mentioned? Again, if we're talking about a rebel army that we were funding yeah. to fight communists in Latin America, that's the CIA. Like there's exactly like the NSA doesn't do it. The FBI doesn't I mean, do it. I get that. Like, I agree, obviously, that the CIA's uh, involvement is implicit in this. But I will say that is journalistically unsound. Like you do, like as a journalist, you do need to provide some of this information. Not all of it. I like, I like, right. again, I'm not going to come down on Gary Webb at all, really. And I'm definitely not going to come down like the people who went after him did. But, you know, like there's the, it, there's there's definitely criticisms to be leveled at this work. Well, one criticism he left himself completely wide open for is. If he did ever just call the CIA, as one can do, like they have a public relations office, you can call yeah. them and be like, do you want to comment on this story that's about to run about sure. you starting the crack epidemic in L.A.? Yeah. If he did that, he didn't say like he didn't say it. it nowhere that's in the true. article is he like, no. we reached out to the CIA for comment. And, so and the like, CIA look. was able immediately to just be like. Bitch didn't even ask. Why didn't Why didn't you ask us? Yeah. We, we wouldn't have killed you. I swear. <laughs> exactly. Like that's the we thing. Like I understand B 
being reluctant to do that when you're working on a story like this. Yeah, I get that. Like that makes sense from a human perspective, but it is unfortunate that that leads to these sorts of holes that are easy for critics to use to devalue the entire thing. And that's not fair. So Gary Webb, let's talk about him a little bit before he came to the San Jose Mercury, which is the outlet that eventually published the Dark Alliance series. That's Mm -hmm. what his articles about the CIA and drug trafficking were called. Right. Before that, he was an investigative reporter. He won a bunch of awards. His first investigative work was published in the Cincinnati Post in 1980. Hmm. 17-part series about the murder of a coal executive who had organized crime ties. Damn, I want to read that. Sounds good. He won the National Investigative Reporters and Editors Award for reporting from a small town newspaper for that story. I don't know. I mean, I guess Cincinnati is small, but I mean, they got. Yeah, they got a couple of the major sports teams. Not that small. They do. I guess. Is that what makes a city a a large city? In my opinion, 100 percent. I I, know. I don't disagree. Congratulations, Green Bay, Wisconsin. You're huge. (laughs) Wow. They're in the big leagues. (laughs) Sure are. But he joined the San Jose Mercury News in 1988. In 1990, he and a team of journalists at the paper won a damn Pulitzer for their coverage of the Loma Prieta earthquake. Mm. But I did leave out he had a stint at the Cleveland Plain Dealer where he won numerous regional journalism awards, but also got the paper successfully sued for defamation (laughs) over a story he wrote twice. Damn, twice. Twice, Gary. Also. I bet his editors loved him. (laughs) Also, it comes up in the movie Kill the Messenger, which we'll probably do a bonus episode about. But hell yeah. During this period in his life, he cheated on his wife and the woman he cheated with killed herself because he wouldn't (laughs) leave his wife. (laughs) (laughs) Big plot point in that movie. Wow. So from there, he goes to the San Jose Mercury. And according to the book, Kill the Messenger, which is about the life of Gary Webb and a highly recommended read or just watch the Jeremy Renner movie, which we'll do soon. Webb started researching the CIA crack connection in July 1995. So this article, when it comes out, it was groundbreaking in quite a few ways. One of them being it was the first major investigative piece like this to be published simultaneously in print and on the internet, Mm -hmm. which meant if you read it online, you could actually click on the sources and read like his sources and things. So I think that is worth taking into account when people call this article poorly sourced, which is a criticism that you hear about it a lot. It's like some of the claims were poorly sourced, but there's also links to all of the sources in this. So yes and no. Right. I mean, again, like there are criticisms, like with most pieces of journalism, there are criticisms you can level at, but it's fairly airtight, not airtight, but you know, it's well sourced, like you said. And despite it being a massive three-part series that also includes like articles within articles, Mm -hmm. it's pretty easy to summarize what the article was about. Yeah. It, Kind of says it right in the lead of the first article. Here's a quote. For the better part of a decade, a San Francisco Bay Area drug ring 
sold tons of cocaine to the Crips and Blood street gangs of Los Angeles, and funneled millions in drug profits to a Latin American guerrilla army run by the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency. End quote. And I think what's important to note there is nowhere does he say the CIA intentionally sold drugs in Los Angeles. Right. Like he's just saying a group of drug smugglers with connections to the CIA right. sold drugs in Los Angeles. And here's the thing. They did. Yes, they absolutely. Did. That's true. It's and that's a great lead, too. Oh, that's yeah. really that's that's all you need for a story like this for, to start it off. Like what a what a lead like. And I highly recommend like I, I'm sure we'll link to him. But anybody listening, go read the three Dark Alliance stories we're, that we're talking about. They're really interesting reads. Yeah. Uh, really well written and well done journalism. Yeah, that's the thing. For all the talk of this story having been discredited, it's never gone away. It is an FX original series now. Yeah. I, have you watched Snowfall? I cannot get into it. I've I, tried. Haven't, I haven't watched it it's yet. It's like it's obviously right in my wheelhouse. Yeah, I know. That's and why I I'm... don't understand why every time I watch it, I'm just like, oh, this is boring. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, though, like I get that. I'm like, going to you can't help it. it. I'm going to have yeah. to fight through it. It's be- I mean, it's got like four seasons now. Yeah, I guess it does. It's crazy. Yeah. Because, yeah, the, the I think the fifth season just aired. Yeah. Yeah, it's been going. And as pointed out in Kill the Messenger and by us mere minutes ago, Gary <laughs> Webb was not the first person to report on alleged connections between the CIA and the crack epidemic in America. But what was different is all those other articles kind of ended at, well, this group smuggled drugs into the United States. The end. What no one ever talked about was where did the drugs go from there? Yes. And with it being the 80s, you're going to imagine it's going to like Miami Vice parties and shit like that. The popular image of cocaine. Just like and that's the like that's a big thing that's underlined in this series is that is the main like demographic that you were selling cocaine to in the 70s and 80s, like in those years. And the thing that changed with this conspiracy was that crack had been invented a few years before, and that made it easy for it to be packaged in a cheap way. That could then be sold uh, like other street drugs. Yeah. And the thing about it being cooked, I was reading it's in one of the articles that we'll link to. But I believe it was Gary Webb who was talking to Rick Ross. Mm -hmm. I might be incorrect about who Rick Ross was talking to. But what Rick Ross did that no one else had been doing up to that point is he cooked the cocaine into a smokable form ahead of time. Right. That's a thing people had been doing for a long time. And once you cut it up into like that small of an amount and resell it, you're going to make a fucking killing. Exactly. Because like, you know, you only need a little rock to get high. And so like you could sell it it, by these such small amounts that they were way more affordable. Right. And the thing is, he did that for people. Like, yes, freebasing has always been a thing. That's how Richard Pryor set himself. Exactly. Yeah. Like. Yeah, it's important that he these people like they did not invent crack. This is popularizing it. Right. And 
kind of mainstreaming it and making it more accessible. Because Rick Ross was talking about this one particular customer who was like, well, I like to get high before work in the morning. And it's like, who fucking doesn't, for one thing. <laughs> and he was like, but I'm in a hurry. I got to, like, get up and be responsible, make my kids breakfast and shit. But I also got to cook my own cocaine so I can get high right. in the morning. He's like, <laughs> no, you cook it for me. And then that's when the light bulb went off over Rick Ross's head. And he was like, right. oh, shit. Yeah. That's how you sell cocaine in black neighborhoods. You yes. make it affordable. That's what yeah. crack did. It made cocaine affordable in black and neighborhoods. Then, and it just so happens to also be a highly, highly addictive version of cocaine. Right. Extremely addictive, extremely potent and cheap. You ever smoke crack? Uh, I have not. No. It's pretty, I, it's pretty good. It's pretty good? I've heard. I've heard good things. Yeah. I've heard yeah, good I, things. I, I wrote a cracked article yeah. about it. I think I read that. Not the kind of thing I'd recommend doing on no. consecutive days. Or at all. <laughs> right. But yes. If you do it once, Make sure definitely you don't go back to that well the next day. Because right. you're going to be there for a while if you do. Yeah, I would try it once. Uh, but I'm not going to, it's not one, you know, that I'll seek out ever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if it's offered to me, maybe. It feels like if it's offered to me, though, that might not be a situation where I want to smoke crack. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, like, it's interesting. And, and then, because the big thing is that Rick Ross has this idea and starts, you know, making crack first and then selling it. And, but runs into the problem quickly that, Cocaine is very expensive to buy, and he needed a way to get it cheaply. Enter some pesky Nicaraguan rebels and uh, the CIA, and that's kind of the connection there. Yeah, the series Dark Alliance focuses on three men. Freeway Rick Ross, not the rapper. No. The guy that former corrections officer rapper stole from. Oh, yeah. Uh, the guy uh, who sued the rapper uh, yes. because he used his name and then it got dismissed. Yes. Freeway Rick Ross, Oscar Danilo Blandon and Norwin Menaces. Is it Blandon or Blandon? Oh, you're right. It's Blandon. Well, I don't know. That's why no, I mean, it I is. Like, I just didn't I didn't yeah. figure out how to type the O with the accent over it when I was doing. No, it's OK. I mean, and we're, I Amer- we're, we're ignorant like, Americans. Yeah, I, we can. Obviously. We could say Blandon. Yeah. Oscar Danilo Blandon. It's it's like Brandon with an L. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think it means Brandon in Nic- sure. Nicaragua. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Rick Ross was an L.A. drug dealer, as we've mentioned a whole bunch. Mm. And Blandon and Menaces were Nicaraguan drug smugglers. And the first article in the series mostly covered... The failure of law enforcement agencies to prosecute Blandon and Menaces and how Mm -hmm. a lot of that had to do with their connections to the CIA and the Contras. And that ends up being the part when the mainstream media gets to picking this story apart. They just completely ignore that because that happened. Like, that's the thing when the CIA report comes out later, like at so many points throughout history, people have commented on Dark Alliance, and they're always like, well, the CIA didn't start the crack epidemic. <laughs> they just knew it was happening and didn't yeah. do anything. And it's and like funded it. <laughs> oh, OK. That's also very bad. Yeah. 
Exactly. <laughs> but no one cared about that part. No. Like, at least not the outlets that end up murdering Gary Webb over this. Yeah, I mean, that's the, th- the, like, that's the thing. And again, this is what we're going to really dig into in, in the second episode here. But, like, it really is that they just focus so hard on him and even so like at least one of the reporters who worked for the la times like commented on it a few years later where they were he was like yeah no we we really went we got real focused on him and no one reported about the actual allegations yeah yeah the mainstream media in this case did exactly what the government wanted them to do yeah like to the letter it's yep. scary. And that's why I think that is the conspiracy here. I don't. For sure. It, it doesn't really seem like a question anymore as to whether the CIA did what Gary Webb said no. they did. <laughs> it's definitely not. And like Rick Ross went to prison for what he did. We know Rick Ross yes. sold crack. Yes, but, he went to, he went to prison for a while and now is like an author and like motivational speaker kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, which, OK, I don't know that like. I yeah. wouldn't necessarily want to get motivated by Freeway Rick Ross, but like, whatever. Yeah. Man's got to make a living, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, selling crack. The motivational circuit is a weird place to go after having such a devastating impact on humanity. Yeah. On, uh, like, on, not, yeah. Like just on the world. Exactly. In general. Man. Uh, yeah, it seems, it seems weird. But then again, like, uh, oh, uh, wow, I'm going to blank on. Uh, is they put the fucking Wolf of Wall Street guy. <laughs> that's how that movie ends. That's, that's one of the best parts of that movie. Yeah. Is it ends with him doing the fucking motivational speaker circuit, even right. though he's a fucking asshole, like monster and lunatic. Yeah. So the second article in the series was all about something you just mentioned that Rick Ross needed not just a ton of cocaine, but he needed it cheap. And that right. these two are where he got that cocaine connection right because they wanted to get rid they had a bunch of cocaine and they needed money in order to send back to their fucking commie hating friends back in (laughs) nicaragua their fucking asshole right-wing contra motherfuckers yeah and that and these guys were total fucking middle class assholes like that was the thing that really jumped out at me well one of the things a lot of stuff really jumps out at you reading these articles but like they talk about how blandon and meneses or i meneses sorry i don't speak spanish how they're like small business owners and shit and like you like one i think one of them worked in real estate or something in in nicaragua yeah and then you know was ousted by the the sandinistas i wonder why i wonder what his business practices were like yeah there's a quote from one of them where they were just like we wanted the communists out of our government Yeah, they're very straightforward about their goals. Yeah, yeah. They like they were absolutely selling these drugs to fund the Contras. Like, again, the only question is how much the CIA knew. Exactly. Not not whether it happened. It's just how much did they know? And it's like, right, it's the CIA. They know everything. And then it's like, well, well, why don't we ask these guys what they know? And CIA is like, you can't ask those guys. They're they're part of an active investigation. It's like. Well, what's that active investigation about? <laughs> I would love to know. And they're like, no comment. So, yeah. you know, and then, you know, the problem is that then the media people will go, 
well, okay, then I guess there's no connection. End of discussion. Yeah. The third article in the series, and again, this is really where Gary Webb's reporting starts deviating from the previous reporting on this Mm -hmm. issue. Again, he talked about where the drugs went. So this third article was all about the social impact of the crack epidemic on communities of color, especially black people. Mm -hmm. And not just that, but even back then, we were talking about the disparity in the punishment between black people and literally anyone else getting arrested for cocaine. Even in this case, like Rick Ross got arrested and then he, he went to prison and got out and then Danilo Blandin, who ended up becoming like a paid informant for the rest of mm-hmm. his life, and he got like permanent residence in the United States. Yep. He ends up setting Rick Ross up again and getting him sent back to prison. <sighs> yeah, that was fucking wild. That yeah. was so wild. But also, come on, Rick. Jesus. Yeah. You're going to deal with this motherfucker again? Come on. Yeah. When you hear that <laughs> Nicaraguan drug smugglers, you're right. It, like, it's not what you're picturing. Like, no, no, just, exactly. No, it's not just dudes. dudes. <laughs> it's not dudes with gold chains and fucking, you know, Uzis and speedboats and shit. It's these goddamn middle-aged, like, you know, upper middle class douchebags who are trying to protect their comfortable way of life, basically. Yeah. And fuck that. That sucks. It does. Yeah. And it it destroyed people. And like this was these articles became, you know, obviously made a huge impact in especially the South Central communities like in Los Angeles communities, like made really big waves for something that, you know, seems like it might have been isolated to the San Jose region, Bay Area. It really made an impact because of the Internet, partially. Yeah. The Internet's a pretty important player in this story because these articles even though they were mostly ignored by the mainstream media at first yeah black media they did not ignore this no no it 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 turned a few heads it started protests it was news for months and a lot of that had to do with the fact that it could be spread on the internet it'll come up again on the second episode But in one of these fucking response articles to Dark Alliance, the Washington Post, I think it was, they coupled their article with another article about why black people are so susceptible to falling for conspiracy theories. And it's like, you motherfuckers. I didn't know that. That I knew about condescending (laughs) bullshit right there. God damn. Like the Washington Post and. You know, this is stuff we'll get into more detail later, but like the Washington Post was the first outlet, right, that published a a thing about it. And that's weird in and of itself, because, again, the San Jose Mercury News is, as it the the name of it suggests, is a fairly small region. I mean, you know, it's a very large daily newspaper by daily newspaper standards. But it still is mostly confined to the Bay Area region that people buy it. And the fact that it's getting tag teamed by the Washington Post with multiple pieces of coverage is just out of control. And then the L.A. Times jumps in. Yeah. And the way they covered it, because not a single one of them 
looked into any of the actual allegations. That's, they were it, that's just the looking for holes in his reporting. Which, like, whatever. Like, if I understand wanting to make sure that the journalistic process is defended or whatever. Like, sure. I get that. But, like, you also should – like, it is – also, I would say journalistic malpractice to not investigate the subject of the thing that you're critiquing in your critique. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that just seems like you're completely missing a major part. Like, what's your rebuttal if if it's not what he's saying? If you're nitpicking so hard, what's your reasoning? Yeah. And it's because they're getting paid by the CIA to take it down. Well, that's the thing. Like, we'll get into it more on the second episode. But the CIA at one point just commenting on this in an internal like publication of theirs. They were like, man, it's a good thing we had all those relationships in place with all those media outlets when this happened, because we got some of them to just kill the story without even reporting on it. And it's like that is one of the most disheartening things (laughs) a person could read, because it's a thing. Again, we I've I've mentioned it on this podcast before. Project Mockingbird. Uh, mm-hmm. Carl Bernstein wrote a really great Rolling Stone article about it in 1978. That was the CIA going out to journalists and being like, "Hey, will you tell the stories that we want you to tell, and we'll fucking give you like Super Bowl tickets or get you some sex or something like whatever you want." Yeah, and so many people are going to say yes. Sure, I get it. I'll take some sex. I mean, I'm, I'm married, but I'm, I'm fucking with them Super Bowl tickets. If yeah, exactly. Like if see? there's like a small enough country that needs their government sure. toppled, like what kind of tickets yeah. are we talking? Am it's I like, like nosebleeds or am I in a box with Ashton right. Kutcher? Oh, no, you're going to topple Luxembourg. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I guess that's fine. I'll go to the Bahamas. Yeah. That's OK. <laughs> great. So, yeah, these articles, of course, lead to a huge wave of protests among especially black communities. This is a quote from Carl T. Rowan, who is a syndicated columnist. If this is true, then millions of black lives have been ruined and America's jails and prisons are now clogged with young African-Americans because of a cynical plot by a CIA that historically has operated in contempt of the law. And yep, yep, that is correct. Yes, true and the problem is like especially with that washington post shit about why black people are more susceptible yeah, to that's conspiracy crazy. theories the mainstream media really did turn this like without saying it mm-hmm. they turned this into a thing that was like well black people worry about that like that's uh-huh. that's not your concern that's conspiracy theory bullshit like right the government's not doing anything to you Right. Yeah. Yeah. What 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 what's next? Yeah. Like an, a mad scientist created white people in his image in Africa. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Sure, buddy. Yeah. The CIA is selling drugs. Absolutely. At one point, Maxine Waters, who represented a district in L.A. that included South Central L.A., where most of the story yeah. happened, she called into a talk radio show, which among again, among African-American media outlets, this was a huge fucking story for obvious yeah. reasons. She called into one of those shows and said that the Congressional Black Caucus was going to take up this issue at their next meeting. They were expecting like 200 people to show up. 2,000 people Hell showed yeah. up. So, again, like, yeah, 
This is and, the kind of thing the government and the mainstream media would conspire over. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. And and Maxine Waters, yeah, it should be said, she she was a huge supporter of Gary Webb uh, yes. for his entire life and after his life. Uh, R.I.P. So she's always been kind of spearheading this one because her district is largely one, the one that was the most impacted by it. Yeah, it got to be such a thing that the CIA director at the time, a guy named John Deutsch, mm-hmm. there is video of this. And it is fascinating because you mostly mm. because I don't know that I've ever seen the CIA do something like this. But he went to a community meeting in Watts and like took questions from the community. And let me tell you, it is awkward. And he oh, was no longer CIA director a month later. A month. Oh, wow. Yeah, he made it a while, but I, I, I kind of want to see that. And I kind of never want to see that. That it, sounds excruciating. It feels like a trap. Yeah. Like it yeah. feels like, hey, are you mad about the CIA selling crack in your community? How about you all gather in this one building and come talk yeah. to the CIA about it? Why don't you say it to our face? Here, take this <laughs> take this commemorative coin home with you. Keep it on yeah. you at all times, please. Oh my god. So yeah, they like the government and the media both really end up going to the mat to try and put this story down. Yeah. And they do. And then, yeah, they Whether do. Whether right or wrong. And, and, you know, and, you know, I'm sure there's something else that we'll get into more. But, you know, then Gary Webb, quote, unquote, killed himself. Yeah, well. Twice. <laughs> on, on the next episode, yeah, we're going to get into that mainstream media response. And just to give you, like, I guess some some previews, it's bad. Yes. The paper of record. Is that what the New York Times calls itself? Sure. Yeah, they fucking I think so. Failed. The gray lady. They fucking failed us. Yeah. Yes. They like I'm not one of those. The mainstream media is the enemy of the people. No. But in this case, they were. Yeah. I mean, like they are a tool that can be manipulated like anything else. Yeah. That's my main outlook on on them and this but like this is egregious like if you read about it you know again like even if you're like sure there are some valid points to be made about the quality of the of the investigation uh that was made this is still like insane overkill of a response and the problem that you see a lot with it i'll go through my one favorite example before we dive into it in detail on the next episode One thing you saw is these outlets that start attacking Gary Webb also start doing the same things they're accusing him of. Right. In their effort to make their point. The one that stood out to me when I was researching this is L.A. Times writer Jesse Katz. Mm, Yes. His main point of contention in criticizing Gary Webb was Gary Webb said Rick Ross was a huge cocaine dealer. And Jesse Katz said, nuh-uh. There were bigger cocaine dealers. And it's like, okay, but was he selling cocaine for the CIA? Was he, but did he make a lot of money (laughs) selling crack or did he not? Was his name Freeway Rick Ross? Like, you know, come on, man. And the thing is, he criticizes Gary Webb for overstating how big of a drug dealer Rick Ross was. But in 1994, Jesse Katz wrote this about Rick Ross. 
if there was an eye to the storm, if there was a criminal mastermind behind Crack's decade-long reign, if there was one outlaw capitalist most responsible for flooding Los Angeles streets with mass-marketed cocaine, his name was Freeway Rick Ross. Ricky Donnell Ross did more than anyone else to democratize crack, boosting volume, God. slashing prices, and spreading disease on a scale never before conceived. End quote. And that motherfucker, two years later, when Gary Webb writes this article, is like, nuh-uh, Rick I, Ross wasn't that big. And I it's did like, not well, know then, it was. And it's like, well, then were you just lying? Yeah, uh, I did not know there you would have that exact of a of a <laughs> hypocritical point. That was so that was so exact to his criticism. It yeah, is. and it's it's but it is interesting because Katz is one of the people from the L.A. Times who eventually is like, yeah, we were kind of going crazy on that. I don't know what was going on. As evidenced by that right there. Yeah, exactly. He kind of is. He's one of the guys who has actually like renounced a lot. Of, you know, if not renounced, but at least like been remorseful about his role. And in, it's like, yeah, you that. should be. You killed yeah, this guy. Absolutely. The response to this article is what killed Gary Webb. I actually, against yeah. all odds, and I know I've said the opposite on this podcast before, I do think Gary Webb killed himself. Oh, I, you do? For one thing, all of his family, all of his friends are like, yeah, he, I mean, he I, I, then that's killed fair. himself. And the thing is, it seems way late in the game for the government to, like, kill him out of retaliation. They had already destroyed this dude. The day he sure. died, he was about to move into his mom's house yeah. because he couldn't afford his mortgage anymore. Like, he never got another job with a major no, no, newspaper. It like, it really, he lost his family over it. Like, mm -hmm. it ruined his life. And yeah, it's it's weird that he shot himself twice in the head. To say that's the thing, <laughs> but the first bullet went through his cheek, right. like it went in and out. And yeah. granted, it seems crazy that you would like wake up from that and be like, "Oh, I fucked up. Let me try again." There's no way you're going out and then waking back up. It's a it has to had to have been immediate. <laughs> yeah. Like surely it's like, oh no. Like, oh, I yeah, that's just a, a scenario that is that's a very horrific scenario to imagine. It I is. guess that I mean, and, and look, it's uh, like the coroner said, it's not unheard of for there to for someone to have killed themselves by being shot twice. But like, it's just weird. It's very considering, weird. It's very considering weird. considering his career. It's just weird. It's a weird capper. Yeah, and I guess I, story. I guess I don't know what he was working on at the time. He might have been on right. some other crazy ass story. So, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's perfect. There's perfectly right. fine chance. God, <laughs> yes. I, if you told me the government kills literally everyone who dies, I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, all right. I always kind of suspected it. It's good to have confirmation. Thank you, Mr. Right. Ventura yeah. or whoever that would come from. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for sure. Look, look. Yeah, we'll, we'll never know. And this is stuff we'll definitely talk about a lot as we talk about his media fallout. But I would definitely understand a suicide. His life had been ruined. But, oh, sure. you know, two, two bullets. It's just one of those things. What if he did it on purpose as like the ultimate troll move? That he's like would be funny. It's he's like, 
oh, I definitely want to die, but I could really make it have some fun if people thought that the CIA murdered me. <laughs> it's possible there is an internet video of a guy who just like shoots himself in the cheek just to see if it's a thing he could do. And he did. He shot himself in the cheek in the bullet. Just oh, like- yeah. I mean, absolutely. If your mouth is, I mean, and if your mouth is open, you'll basically just get two holes in your mouth. That in is, your face, which sucks. That is the theory I want to believe when it comes to Gary Webb's death. That yeah, yes, it was he, a joke. He did <laughs> unfortunately kill himself, but he also trolled the CIA at the end. Right. I mean, hey, I I, I would love it. I would love to see it. But yeah, we'll get into Gary Webb's death a little more in his life after the Dark Alliance series yeah. on the next episode, where we will also dig into the bat shit insane media response to this story. The New York Times assembled a team of 17 reporters just to pick apart Gary Webb's reporting. They wrote more words about his reporting than he wrote about the CIA selling fucking cocaine (laughs) in the United States. That is shameful. Yes. And like the and you know, again, we'll get into it, but like the L.A. Times, basically their entire fucking department was focused on yeah gary webb for a time and like i sort of understand the la times being aggro about it because this is them getting scooped on a story that happened in oh yeah their city that is like i understand like i said and again well this is stuff we'll get into but i understand wanting to be rigorous in your investigation of uh, a claim like this like you want to be as intellectually rigorous and make sure everything is as airtight as possible but then it's yeah. just too much yeah and it ends up ruining gary webb's life yep uh, very much so but uh he did win an award for this oh, article well, there you go well uh, that's good he'll have that then there was a lot of debate as to whether to still give it to him because yes. of the fallout over this but he was and remains controversial yeah so Yeah, on the next episode, we'll delve into the mainstream media response to this. The regular old media was appropriately upset and concerned for the most part. Again, communities of color, very upset. Dick Gregory got arrested outside the CIA for protesting when this happened. So it wasn't that no one cared. It was just that the people we needed to care didn't care. And that is what we'll talk about on the next free episode. We'll we'll do a bonus episode in between. Maybe should we cover Kill the Messenger in between? Uh, Yeah, be sure. I'm down. I definitely want to cover that. It's Uh, I've watched it. It's a good movie. It's a good Jeremy Renner movie. There you go. Jeremy Renner as Gary Webb. It's believable. I could see that. I mean, he doesn't look anything like him, but that is. But he's got a small town journalist face. he does like he and and look, Jerry Renner has had his problems in, in in the past. He certainly seems like a weird dude, but he's a good actor. I like him. I like watching him act. I like watching him perform. He's great in like the Hurt Locker and things like that. So, yeah, he's good in it. And there's also a weird amount of strange stuff around that movie itself, especially the promotion of it. OK, like when it comes out, the studio that made it did not 
promote it at all. Yeah. Like to the point that it seemed like they were not wanting people to know it had been made. Sure. I mean, that might be the case. It might also be one of the, you know, it didn't, it might not, they might have known that it, it didn't have a lot of broad commercial appeal, which is fine. Like, not every movie needs to have major yeah, commercial appeal. But, it's got a hell of know. a cast. And by that, I mean, it, it also does. has Mary Elizabeth Winstead in it. Oh, okay. Well, this thing, this, this thing sounds great. We definitely yeah. got to cover it. <laughs> I love her. I love her so much. So, yeah, maybe we'll cover that on the next bonus episode and then we'll finish because they they get into the media response but not in the same detail and also it's a movie so like the facts are out of order and things like that but yeah so yeah we're gonna be talking about gary webb the next couple episodes yep until then do we have anything to plug before Uh, we get out of here going back our our lost rewatch podcast it's uh it's on the roll i think we we just the first episode just dropped and uh, we got a second one coming. So if you want to hop on the Conspiracy the Show Patreon and check that out. Yeah, it's available on the Patreon or if you subscribe to bonus episodes through the Spotify app. I also yep. dropped the first episode in there so you can hear oh, yeah. it there and you'll be able to hear those before they are free to the public. One of your perks as a subscriber, you lucky bastards wow wow i'm jealous of you walk honestly. outside look up at the sky and say thank you exactly because thank you, you get to thank hear you. going back before anyone else except all Any the other of- people who subscribe which is a considerable number of people there's a lot of people it's good i'm we're happy about it <laughs> and, and like I, I i'm loving it. i love that sh- I'm, lo- I'm loving watching lost that's been fun and i'm loving talking about it uh takes me back so yeah good times yeah all right and uh, yeah, I'm, do- I'm doing a live Unpopular Opinion podcast in New York City, August 28th, Hell Sunday, yeah. 4 p.m. Early. Come out. Watch me yeah. spew some unpopular opinions and then, mm-hmm. you know, go have drinks later. Not with me, but no. go out and party. Have fun. Yeah. Enjoy the city. Join your friends. Have a nice time. A very early evening with the Unpops Podcast Network, baby. Ooh. Tickets for that are available at unpops.co slash NYC. Or on the caveat NYC website. And uh, that's all I got for now. Let's get the fuck out of here. Olivia, say goodbye. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. People of Earth, your planet is about to be destroyed.